us back into Thanksgiving a little bit. <laughs> Just a few days ago, we celebrated Thanksgiving, and I want to share with you this morning five Thanksgiving commands that are given in this fifth or this hundredth chapter in these five verses of the book of Psalms. In a nutshell, when we speak about God's blessings, serve Him with gladness, show Him the joy of belonging to Him, let Him be the shepherd of our life and rely on His presence for our strength. In a sense, with all of that, we are saying to the Lord, thank you. We're saying thank you for all that you are and for all that you do for us. Matthew Henry is best known for his Bible commentaries that he wrote back between 1706 and 1721. And his commentaries are so good that probably about every preacher that I know has a copy of them, and many other people do as well. But one time, he was walking on the streets of London, and Matthew Henry was attacked by some thieves, and he was robbed. They took his wallet. And he wrote these words in his diary after he had been robbed. He said, let me be thankful, first of all, that I was never robbed before. <laughs> Secondly, although they took my wallet, they didn't take my life. Thirdly, although they took all I had, they didn't get much. <laughs> <laughs> and fourthly, let me be thankful because... I was the one who was robbed and not the one who was doing the robbing. So even in difficult things, we can find things for which to be thankful, can't we? For what God has done and what He is to us. Today, I want to give us some good perspective on thanksgiving. Psalm 100 is called the psalm or the song of giving thanks. And it's not unusual for us at Christmas time and Thanksgiving time and New Year's, different times of the year, for us to compile lists that we, that we want. Many people compile Christmas lists, things that they want for Christmas, sometimes Thanksgiving lists, lists things that we're thankful for. Sometimes we even compile those New Year's resolutions that we keep for four or five days and then forget about them. But I think we perhaps often overlook the Thanksgiving list the things that we're thankful for. One group did make a list one time. It was a group of wives. And they compiled their Thanksgiving list, and they, the ladies said this. They said, I'm thankful for automatic dishwashers because they make it possible for us to get out of the kitchen before the family comes back in for their after-dinner snacks. I'm thankful for husbands who attack small repair jobs around the house because they usually make them big enough to call in the professionals. <laughs> I'm thankful for children who put away their things and clean up after themselves. They're such a joy. You hate to see them go home to their own parents. <laughs> I'm thankful for teenagers because they give us parents the opportunity to learn a second language. I'm thankful for smoke alarms because they let us know when the turkey's done. <laughs> now, your list might not be the same as the list of the wives, but all of us, I'm convinced, have things that we could list that we're thankful for. Amen? And God has been so good to us. 
And when we begin to think about the things that we are thankful for, it begins to help us to have a proper perspective towards thanksgiving and towards things and towards life itself. You're probably like me. If you made a list of things that you're thankful for, you would include things like good health. You would include things like your family, your friends, your church, the nation that we live in. I think all of us would include in our list our, our, our salvation. We're thankful that the Lord has saved us and give us, given to us eternal life. Our church family, I'm thankful for Northern Kentucky Baptist Church and for God's blessings here and for the mercies and the blessings that God showers on us every day. David said he daily loadeth us with benefits. And when we start to think about all of that, we have so much. I mentioned last week, and I think sometimes about the early settlers in America, perhaps no group of Americans have been as underprivileged as that small group that came across on the Mayflower who started the custom that we follow today of Thanksgiving. You stop and think about it, they had no homes. They had no government agency to help them build homes. They had no means of transportation but their legs. Their only food came from the sea and the forest, and they had to go get that themselves. They had no money and no place to spend it if they had any. They had no amusements except what they made for themselves. They had no means of communication with their relatives back in England. They had no HMOs and Social Security and Medicare. And yet, if you dared to call them un underprivileged, they probably would have arrested you and put you in the stocks or in the prison. Because those folks had a proper perspective on things. They recognized that they had some things that were far greater than what we think of just the materialistic things of this world. When you think about the initiative and the courage and the willingness to work and the strong faith that they had in the power of their God, our Declaration of Independence dec declares this. It says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. And it ends with these words, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortune, and our sacred honor. That faith in God's power, then and always has been at the very foundation of our country and of our nation. We are still one nation under God. And we want it to always be that way. Amen? And never forget that. In this hundred, this hundred psalm, there are five thanksgiving commands that are given to us in just five short verses. And when we understand these commands and follow each one of them, they will help us to have a proper perspective on thanksgiving and help us to focus on God to whom we give our thanks. So that's where I want us to kind of focus this morning and and just briefly look at these commands that are given to us in this particular chapter of the Bible. First of all, the first command is to speak about His blessings. To speak about His blessings. You know, a lot of times we make our lists, we talk about things uh, t 
to ourselves and we write them down and we even thank the Lord, but do we speak them? Do we tell other people what we're thankful for? Do we let other people know that we are grateful? The very first command is given to us in verse 1, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. The Hebrew words that are used there literally mean, Shout with the voice of a trumpet. Are we that kind of a thankful person that we're shouting it out? In other words, we're to give a shout for joy to the Lord, a powerful shout. We're to speak about His blessings. Speak about them. Maybe God solved the problem that you had in your life. Have we talked about it? Maybe He's given you specific directions about a need in your life or decisions you have made. Maybe we've been the recipient of a blessing and and realized it was only something that God alone could do for you. Maybe you've been healed from a difficult disease and God's touched you. And when that happens, it's not time for us to keep quiet. It's not time for us just to keep it to ourselves. That's the time we ought to say something about it. Amen? We ought to tell people about what God's done in our life. That's the idea of of shout it from the rooftops. Let other people know. I heard about a missionary some years ago who was a medical missionary for many years in India. And he served in a region where glaucoma was very prevalent and in that particular region for many generations. And and because of the disease, a, a huge number of the people were going blind in the later years of their adulthood. But this missionary was able to treat the disease and he was able to stop the progressive blindness of these people. And many of them would come to him because of the treatment they got, and as a result of it, they never became blind. They realized that unlike their ancestors, they were going to be able to see for the rest of their lives. The story goes that the people that received the medications and treatment and never became blind never said thank you. But there was a reason they never said thank you. They didn't have a phrase for that in their language. Instead, they used a word that meant, I will tell your name. I will tell your name. And literally, wherever these cured patients would go, they would tell the name of the missionary who had cured them of their blindness. They had received something wonderful, and they were eager to tell his name wherever they went. And I think that's what the psalmist is saying here. We've received the greatest gift in all the world of salvation if we're saved. We ought to tell his name, amen? We ought to shout it out, speak about his blessings, and tell his name. The second commandment is given to us is to serve him with gladness. Look at verse number two. Serve the Lord with gladness. We're to serve with gladness. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say serve the church with gladness. It doesn't say serve the pastor or the leaders with gladness. It doesn't even say serve the organization with gladness. It says serve the what? Lord. Serve the Lord. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 40 says, And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these brethren, Ye have done it unto me. You see, when we serve the Lord and we serve others in the name of the Lord, God takes that personally. 
And God wants us to serve the Lord. I'm not sure we completely grasp what that means, serving the Lord with gladness. I heard about a woman, she was leaving the service one day, and she said to the preacher, she said, I enjoyed the sermon today. And, and the preacher just kind of nonchalantly said, don't thank me, thank the Lord. And the lady looked at him and she said, it wasn't that good. <laughs> Sometimes we don't really understand what we're saying or grasp the meaning of it. Too often times we serve, but it's kind of like that, you know, don't thank me, thank the Lord. It's kind of like just serving out of obligation. You know, it's what I'm supposed to do. Or we serve out of fear, or we serve out of guilt. Having been a pastor now for over 54 years, I know something about people serving and sometimes people serve just to draw attention to themselves. And our serving ought to be the opposite. It's not to draw attention to me, it's draw attention to the Lord. True service takes the attention off of me and places it on God. You see, service is a concrete way for you and me to say to the Lord, thank you for all of his blessings. When we sing in the choir, we're saying, thank you, Lord, for blessing me. When we work on the bus route, when we teach a Sunday school class or a master club class on Wednesday nights, or we work as an usher or a greeter, or we work in the nursery, or when we sing a special or work in the sound booth or in the food bank or mow the grass or lock up the church or whatever it is that we're doing, instead of looking at it as saying, I have to, and, and it becomes a drudgery for us, we say, I get to serve the Lord, and it's my way of saying, thank you, Lord for all that you've done for me. We can never repay him, amen? We can never outgive him. We can never do more for him than what he's done for us. And so as we serve him, it's not something that we dread. It ought to be something we're thrilled about. I get to serve the Lord. And I get to serve him how? With what? With what? With gladness. With gladness. Many years ago when we first started the church way back in 1980, Vicki and I, for a while, we had to do a lot of uh, just about everything. And we had to clean the church, and Vicki did it a lot longer than I did, but we cleaned it, and some of the others picked it up later on. But you know what I found sometimes? Sometimes you get to cleaning and you think, well, I wish they wouldn't make such a mess in the bathroom. Or we think, well, I wish they wouldn't clip their fingernails and get it stuck in the carpet or... Or we say, oh, you know, there's all kinds of things you start thinking. But if you turn it around and say, Lord, I get to do this for you. This is for you. I'm serving. Thank you for what you've done for me. And we're serving the Lord, and we get to do it. It's a privilege, and it's an honor, and we learn to serve the Lord with gladness. So the first commandment is speak about his blessings. The second is serve the Lord with gladness. The third commandment he gives to us is show the joy of belonging to God. Show the joy of belonging to God. In the end of verse 2, he says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Come before his presence with singing. It doesn't say make sure that all the songs are on pitch. It doesn't say make, all, make sure all the songs were written over 200 years ago. Doesn't say make sure they're all written in the last five years either. <laughs> but it says make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. 
The emphasis on the gladness and the singing and the joy that we have in our lives. Rod Cooper said this in one of his talks. He said, I used to be the chaplain of the Houston Astros and the Oilers. And he said, when I lived in Houston, Texas. And he said, after I'd do chapel, they would give me tickets to the games. And one time in the Astrodome, he said, I watched Earl Campbell run over everybody, his own men included, to get to the goal line. And he said when he got to the goal, he'd throw that ball down and the place would just go wild and go crazy. People were giving high fives. They were jumping around in the stadium. The scoreboard went flashing and all. And he said the same thing happened when I was in the Astrodome. When the, when the Astros, one of them would hit a home run, he said that place was just ringing with noise and shouting because their team had scored. Now, I'm not saying that we ought to be giving everybody a high five in the church service or doing cartwheels down the aisle, but I believe our service and our worship ought to be a joyful time in which we sing with joy in our hearts to the Lord. It's a rejoicing time. We think about what God has done. We're singing about what God has done for us. We come together because all week long God has been answering prayer and God has been doing special things in our life. And I might say this, if God's not doing anything in your life, maybe you need to stop and take some time to pray and ask Him to do something. Maybe we need to shut off the TV and shut off the social music and, and, or the social media and ask God to do something in our life. We get so caught up with life that we miss God. And Sunday ought to be a time when we come and we can rejoice because God's done some great things in our life this week. We show the joy of the Lord. We show the joy that we belong to the Lord. He says that we are to come before His presence with singing. You know, even the poorest person in this room this morning is better off than the vast majority of the rest of the world. So where's our joy? For what God's done for us. You know, we can stop and complain that we didn't get the raise or that the gas prices are up or the grocery prices are up and we can complain and we can forget that many people in the rest of the world are fortunate even to have one meal. I remember visiting the Philippines a number of years ago and visiting a place called Smoky Mountain. It wasn't like our Smoky Mountains down in Tennessee. It was the trash dump outside of Manila, and it was called Smoky Mountain because it was like a mountain of trash that was just smoking all the time. And there were people that lived all over that trash dump. And on the top of it, we, we went up to the top. There were trails coming from all around. You get to the top, there was a church up there. They, they had built a church out of, out of material that was thrown away, cardboard, little pieces of wood they could find and so forth. They had, they had pieces of wood for pews with a rock on either end and a piece of wood, and they sat on that. They would come, you would see them coming from all these trails, and in the backyard of the church, they had a big fire that they had built with a huge iron kettle, and it had rice in it, and it had the little tips of the wing that we throw away, that little piece at the end of the wing, and the feet. And that's what they flavored the rice with, with the tips of the wing and the feet. And you would see them coming all over with a bowl or a cup or something. They'd come, they'd scoop it out and give them, 
And for many of them, that was their one meal a day that they got. That was all the food they had. And I said to him, I said, that little tip of the wing, we throw that away. And, and the, the feet, we throw those away. And they said, yeah, you, you rich, we poor. And I thought, how much we have to be thankful for. Boy, I don't know if you've ever tried to eat anything off of that little tip of the wing. I'd rather have the leg, amen? Get something when you bite into it, not just bone and whatever gristle or whatever's in there. We are blessed. We ought to show the joy of the Lord when we come and express our joy and sing about it instead of feeling down and complaining about the, the little difficulties that we have. Let our mind dwell on the goodness of God and all that He has blessed us with. In fact, some of us need to let our face know that we're rejoicing. Amen? We used to sing a chorus years ago. It said, smile a while and give your face a rest. Raise your hand toward the one you love the best. And then shake hands with those nearby and smile, smile, smile. Smile a while. Rejoice. Show the joy of belonging to God. If you're saved and a child of God, you belong to Him. We ought to rejoice in that. Aren't you glad you don't belong to the Muslim faith? And live in Gaza. Amen? We belong to the Lord, a child of God, and we can rejoice in it. And then the fourth command is let God be your shepherd. Let God be your shepherd. In verse number 3, he says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he, it is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Let God be your shepherd. When you think for a moment, he's my shepherd, do you know him as your Savior? Have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you have, if you've been born again in the family of God, he's your shepherd. As our shepherd, he guides us. As our shepherd, he protects us. As our shepherd, he provides for us. He cares for us. Leslie's saying, does Jesus care? Aren't you glad you have a shepherd that cares for you? Amen? Let him be your shepherd. And if you've never trusted him as your Savior, invite him into your heart and life. Let him be your shepherd. This phrase tells us two important reasons why we ought to do that. First of all, we ought to let him be our shepherd because God made us. He's the one that made us. He said, Know ye that the Lord, he is God, it is he that hath made us. Never forget, you were made by God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and God made us. I'm glad that we believe, believe in creation. Amen? Isn't it amazing, these people that believe in the Big Bang Theory, you know, all of a sudden, Big Bang. If that were true, how come there's not all kinds of things being developed over in, in Israel where all the bombs are being dropped? Every time that bomb, boom, there's a Big Bang. There ought to be something exciting come out of that, right? If the Big Bang's what brings all that about, no, Big Bang brings destruction, doesn't it? God created you and me. We ought to rejoice. Let him be the shepherd because he made us. He made you. He made me. He made us in his image. He took every bone and every joint in our body and welded them together with sinews and muscles. And then he covered them with skin and he gave us eyes to see and he gave us a brain to think with and fingers that can pick things up and legs that allow us to walk. God made every one of us here, inside and out, everything about us. And he did all of that making very intentionally. 
You're made exactly the way he wanted you to be. But keep this in mind. He's not done making any one of us. The song the kids sing, he's still working on me, amen? He's still working. That's too important of a process for it to stop. And God's still working in every one of our lives. You see, God's not satisfied with the unfinished product. He's not satisfied with your temper. He's not satisfied with your mediocre commitment to him. He's not satisfied with your selfishness. He's not satisfied with our misplaced priorities. In fact, he's not satisfied with any of the weak areas of our life when we give in to temptation and do what we're not supposed to do. So he's making, he's still in a process of making me to be what he wants me to be. And thank God that he's still working on me, amen. Why? Because God refuses to be satisfied with mediocrity. He wants us to be our best. He's still making you and he's still making me into something that is useful, something that is profound, something that is exciting, and something that is mature. So we are to give thanks to the Lord and we're coming to his presence with singing and we're to let him to be our shepherd because he made us. And then secondly, let him be your shepherd because we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We're his people. If you're saved, you're his people. If you're saved, you're the sheep of his pasture. The problem with sheep comes when the sheep try to be the shepherd. Sheep don't make very good shepherds. Sheep aren't any good at finding drinkable water or finding good nourishment and good green pastures. When the sheep search for these things without a shepherd, they always get lost and they always get into a lot of trouble. And by the way, thank God he gives us under-shepherds. As a pastor, I get to be the under-shepherd. I'm glad we have pastors that can help us with that. Just think about it. When sheep try to be the shepherd, we end up a lot of times with people leaving churches because of such incredible, important kingdom matters like somebody didn't speak to me today. Or they did my job. Or the preacher preached on money again. You see, when, when sheep try to be the shepherd, we decide things based on our background and our feelings and based on our preferences, not based on the Word of God. And God is saying to us, you be the sheep, let me be the shepherd, and I will lead you beside the still waters, and I will take you to the green pastures. I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will guide you. Just let me lead. That's what God's saying to us. Just let Him lead us. Listen to his word in scripture and follow them exclusively. Just let him be the shepherd. And then the fourth or the fifth commandment he gives to us is rely on his presence for our strength. Rely on his presence. We're to speak about his blessings. We're to serve him with gladness. We're to show the joy of belonging to God and let him be our shepherd. And then we're to rely on his presence for our strength. Verse number four, he says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Enter into his courts with praise. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. We come together in his presence. What a privilege that is. And this final commandment that he gives to us is to rely upon His presence for strength. We come into His presence here in the service and we get strength. 
On a daily basis, we ought to come into His presence. As we spend time reading His Word and praying, we get to come into the presence of the Lord, and that gives me strength for the day. That gives me strength to do what I'm supposed to do. In the Old Testament, the temple symbolized the presence of God. So whenever people came into the temple, they entered into His presence. They entered into the courtyard, and they knew that they were physically in the presence of God. But that temple no longer exists. When Jesus left and went back to heaven, we talked about it last week, He said, I will send you a comforter, God's Holy Spirit. That means that since the Holy Spirit lives within me, that means that the presence of God is always with me. What an awesome privilege that God is with me. We don't have to go someplace special to enter into His gates. That means that He's with me when I'm driving my car on the highway. And Brother Mike's behind you with the blue lights on. That means He's with you when you're at work. That means He's with me when I care for the children, when you care for your children in the home. He's with you when you're playing your games on your iPad or on your phone. He's with you when you sit down at a restaurant. He's with you every moment of your life, everything we do. He's there, the presence of God. And when we draw upon that power, the power of the presence of God, then we can be thankful beyond belief. We can be thankful for all that He has done for us. Because we have the most powerful force of the universe on our side to guide us and to protect us and to lead us and sustain us. No matter what life may bring our way, we have the great God and our Savior and our Shepherd. Just take a little bit of time to think about that. Think about this, if you would. What if God began to treat us like we treat Him? What if God met our needs to the same extent that we give to His work? What if God never saw another, what if we never saw another flower bloom because we grumbled when it rained? What if God stopped loving and caring for us because we failed to love and care for other people? What if God took away His message because we wouldn't listen to the messenger? What if He wouldn't bless us today because we didn't thank Him yesterday? What if God answered our prayers the way we answer His call for service? What if God retired from providing His care for us because... He was too old. What if God decided to stop leading us tomorrow because we didn't follow Him today? But that's where thanksgiving comes into play. He says in Psalm 103, if you look just a couple of pages over, or a couple of chapters over, look at Psalm 103 and verse 10. Psalm 103 and verse 10, an amazing verse. He says, he hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Boy, aren't you glad for that? I'm glad God doesn't treat us the way we treat Him. We can say thank you whenever we rely upon God's presence to guide us and to lead us in our decisions of life and in our relationships in life. Because He is always there and He's waiting for us to call upon Him and to ask for His help and to ask for His wisdom and to ask for His strength. And if we're truly thankful, 
then we'll treat him like he really does count for something, won't we? Like he's really important in our life. In one of his books, Max Licato tells about life as an American in Brazil. He said one day he was walking along the street on the way to the university to teach a class, and he felt a tug on his pant leg. Turning around, he saw a little boy about five or six years old with dark beady eyes and dirty little face. And he said, the little boy looked up at this big American and he said, Peo, senor, bread, sir. Bread, sir. Lakato said, there are always little beggar boys in the streets of Brazil. Usually I turned away from them because there are so many you can't feed them all. But there was something so compelling about this little boy that I couldn't turn away. So taking his hand, I said, come with me. And I took him into the coffee shop. I told the owner, I'll have a cup of coffee and give the boy a piece of pastry, whatever he wants. Since the coffee counter was on the other end of the store, Locato walked over and got a cup of coffee and he forgot about the little boy because the beggars usually, he said, will get their bread or their pastry and they'll run back out on the streets and disappear. But he said, this one didn't do that. After he received his pastry, he went over by Max Locato and he just stood there. And he said, I turned and I looked to him and, and standing there, his eyes, he said, just about hit my belt buckle. And then slowly his eyes came up until they met my eyes. And the little boy holding his pastry in one hand, looked up and said, Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Lakato continued, I was so touched by the boy's thanks that I would have bought him the whole store. I sat there for another 30 minutes, he said, late for my class, just thinking about a little beggar boy who had come back to say thank you. I want you to keep that image of that little boy in your mind because I think God feels the same way Max Locato did. When we speak about his blessings and when we serve him with gladness and when we show the joy of belonging with him and when we let him be our shepherd and when we rely upon his joy and his presence for our strength, I believe God's heart bubbles inside of him because we as his children are all just beggars, every one of us. And we're saying to the Lord, thank you, sir. Thank you so very much. Do we really thank God? Do we really appreciate all that he has done? Do we, like those folks struggling with glaucoma in India, do we speak his name? Do others know who it is that has been so good to us, that has saved us and given us his eternal life? Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Father, would you help us tonight, this morning rather, help us to have a thankful heart. Lord, to thank you first of all for our salvation. Thank you for taking us who were wicked, lost sinners on our way to an eternity in hell and you reached down and saved us and cleansed us and forgave us and you've given us a home in heaven. 
Thank you that we never have to fear hell again. Thank you for eyes that see and ears that hear and a mouth that can speak and can taste and eat. And thank you for feet. Thank you for hands. Thank you for our mate. Thank you for our children. Thank you for our parents. Thank you for our health and for our Bible and for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've given to us. Thank you for giving us the privilege of being born in America. And many of us the privilege of being born in Christian families. Where all we've known all our life is coming to church and singing and praying and listening and hearing and learning about a God who loves us. Thank you that we weren't born in a foreign land that maybe doesn't even have the Bible in their language. Born in a family that was in a religion that did not know the true and living God. You said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one way and one name and one Savior. Thank you for allowing us to hear about you and know about you and many of us to know you as our Lord and Savior. Would you forgive us for our ungratefulness? Forgive us for not saying over and over and over and over and over again, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. And one of these days we'll close our eyes on earth and we'll open them in the presence of the Lord. And you said there are joys forevermore. We have much to thank you for, for what you've already done, and we have much to thank you for, for what you're going to do. Would you fill our hearts with praise? Would you put a song in our heart and on our lips? Would you help us to serve you with joyful hearts and know that our service is a way of saying thank you? Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name.